Okay. So if this is your first time at RUF, I'm Ben. I'm the campus minister. And we have been studying through uh, the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And I'm really glad you're here and we should hang out. Um, You can text questions to that number, and I will do my best to try to answer them at the end. So we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, We're we're picking up where um, Abraham has been promised by God uh, to have offspring, to have children. And it hasn't happened. And a couple chapters ago, he slept with his concubine, a servant, in his, among his people and had a son, and 13 years have passed, and now uh, he's 99 years old, and um, God is being persistent with him. And so we're going to look at different snapshots over a course of a couple of chapters that tie together a single theme. Uh, and so let's read, starting with Genesis 17, starting verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall, call her, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, the son of his concubine, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight uh, full of doubts and fears uh, and confusion, and we pray that you would speak to us somehow tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Years ago, I was a youth minister before I went to seminary and and came on to RUF, and I I would take my students every summer uh, to a conference very similar to RUF Summer Conference down in Panama City, Uh, this conference called RYM. And there was, at that time, another RUF minister, similar to me, uh, and he his name was Darwin Jordan, and the last night of the conference every year, he would do this sort of like stand-up comedy routine on the last night for, the, for people, and everybody looked forward to it. He would, he would laugh. He would just stand in front of us and laugh, and his routine was sort of like different kinds of laughs, like the person who like, I'm not going to do it because I can't do it, but he would do like the snorting laugh and the giggle laugh and the uh, you're flirting with me, and I'm saying I want you to stop, but I really want you to keep flirting with me, laugh. And um, he would do the laugh of, like, when you laugh at a joke that's not funny, but you feel socially obligated to Joe laugh, like, <laughs> you know, like, kind of like some of you just did. And um, it, and it was great. And everybody, by the end of it, we were all laughing. Like, even if you had seen it, like, four or five times, you were just, there was just the power of his laughter was just, was just wrap up this room of, like, 800 high school students, and everyone is laughing. And I loved what he did because it was this interesting demonstration of the power of laughter, but it was also the, his little routine showed that laughing can mean a lot of different things, and, and we can use it in ways, and it, it happens to us. Um, and here in this passage and the other ones we're going to look at, we see different kinds of laughing, that people laugh for different reasons. And so I just want to uh, look at this. It's a really incredible thing, this theme of laughter that comes up here in the book of Genesis. Um, and I want to look at the first laugh, Abraham's laugh here. And the first laugh in our story 
is, I'll call it the laugh of incredulity. Uh, God tells Abraham, you're, you're almost 100 and your wife is 90 and you all have been sterile for your entire married life and I'm still going to give you a child. And it says that Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And I call it this laugh of incredulity, of sort of disbelief. Um, when it says he fell on his face, I don't think he was laughing so hard he like literally fell down, right? That's not what it's saying. Anywhere in the Bible where you see someone fall down on their face, it's this act of reverence or even worship of the person in front of them. But still he's laughing to himself. Like God has told him this incredibly unbelievable thing. And, and Abraham is just saying like, that's, okay, that's not going to happen. And what about my 13-year-old Ishmael? Like, he's pretty cool. Like, let's just, let's put the promises on him. We, you know, I know it's not perfect, but let's, let's roll with it. Um, he's laughing, and he appeals to God, even argues with God, saying, like, I don't think what you just said is, like, realistic. And um, let me ask you this. Um, if you're a Christian especially, where do you laugh incredulously at God? Uh, what does his word tell you where you are like, okay, that's okay, that's true, but like, come on. And try this one on. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> like, have you met my neighbor? <laughs> right? like, do you know my roommate? Do you know uh, the girl across the hall? Um, or even he goes, Jesus goes further. He says, love your enemy. Bless them and do not curse them. And do you know what she did to me? Do you know what he said about me? How am I supposed to love that? that? That's ridiculous. Like, that's a neat idea, but come on. Or what about this? Jesus says to his disciples and to you and to me, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I'm the light of the world? But that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. I want to believe it, but I, like, Lord, do you know who I am? God, do you, have you seen my life? Do you know all the mistakes that I've made? Do you know how inept I am on a daily basis in every area of my life? You say that I'm the light of the world. That's ridiculous. And I laugh incredulously at him. But then there's, there's another laugh coming in the story. Uh, the second laugh, it's in chapter 18. This is the laugh of Sarah. And God has appeared to Abraham uh, outside of his tent, and there's these three men's who men, men's <laughs> three men who clearly represent the presence of God. They're spokespeople for God. It's like God's presence with him. And they, the men, said to him, to Abraham, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" And he said, "She's in the tent." So she's right inside. And the Lord said, "I will surely return to you about this time next year." And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, if you didn't pick that up from the story so far. They were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she's postmenopausal. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Um, this laugh is a little bit more. I'll call it the, um, the laugh of cynicism. You, you ever laughed cynically? Um, it's a little bit more than incredulity. Like, come on. It's, it's, there's an edge to it. And it's, it's clear in the text where she, as she describes herself with self-deprecating language, she says, I'm worn out. I'm dried up. I'm just an old bag of bones. I'm worthless, is the sense of what she is saying. It's derogatory and self-deprecating. It's a jaded negativity and distrust. That's how I'll define cynicism. Um, the, the yeah, right, I've heard it before. I'm not going to trust you. Well, what is she cynical about, and what are we cynical about? Are you cynical? Um, first, she's, she's cynical about herself. She calls herself this old, dried-up, worn-out bag of bones. And you might think that about yourself. None of you are at the place where you're like, I will never bear children, therefore I am worthless. You know, that's not the stage of your life at this point. Um, but where do you laugh cynically at yourself? Where do you think to yourself, like, I've, I'm a hot mess. God can't use me. He can't fulfill his promises in me. I've blown it. It's too late for me. Something is wrong with me that's not wrong with everyone else. Um, she's also cynical about others. She says, after I'm old and worn out and my Lord, that means her husband, is old, will this happen? She's cynical about her husband. She's cynical uh, about others. Are you cynical about others? You can't trust anybody. You've been hurt before, and you're not going to be hurt again, so you're going to keep yourself safe. Uh, everybody's a phony, like Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye, where everybody else is a phony, everybody else is full of it, and I see through them, and they're not going to do that to me again. And she's cynical about God. Ultimately, she's being cynical about the power of God. Um, is anything too hard for the Lord, God says to her? And she's clearly saying, yes, me having a baby post-menopause at age 90 by a 100-year-old man is too hard for the Lord. That's too hard. What do you think is too hard for the Lord? Is your roommate too hard for the Lord? Are you too hard for the Lord? Um, what are you cynical about? I also want to ask, why are we cynical? And why is she cynical? Um, one of the reasons that, we're, that we become cynical is because we're hurt. We laugh the laugh of cynicism because of pain in our life, because we've been harmed by other people legitimately. Uh, we laugh so that we don't cry. Kurt Vonnegut, whom I adore, uh, wrote this. Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there is less cleaning up to do afterwards. You can even hear the cynicism in that statement, right? Laughter and tears are the response to the same thing. I'd rather laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. Uh, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament puts it like this. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. Um, think about Sarah's disappointment. Like, uh, especially try to put yourself in her shoes in that society. Like, the value and purpose of a woman and a wife in that culture 
was to procreate, to bear children, to have a child, to have a son or a daughter. And she has been denied that her entire life. And she is, do you know anyone who's 90? I've got a dear friend. Her name's Marion Weinberger. She is 90 years old. I hugged her on Sunday. The notion of Marion bearing a child and to imagine she's, she's, her husband has passed away. She's a widow. She has grown children and grandchildren. But to imagine the pain of that. And you can hear it in the laugh. Shall I have this pleasure? Please don't taunt me. I've wanted this, this my whole life, and here I am inside a tent, and I'm hearing the voice of God saying, you're still going to have a kid. You're still going to have a child. You're still going to have a son. And it's just dangled out in front of her, and she's like, no. I've been hurt my whole life. Don't do it again. I'd rather laugh than cry. Um, and you may feel that way. It's too late for you. God has failed you. You feel disappointed with him. You feel disappointed by the people around you. And you're not going to open yourself up to that pain again. Cynicism and laughing at others and seeing right through them is just easier than exposing yourself to more pain. There's first our hurt, but second, it's, it's her pride. Uh, cynicism, the laugh of our cynical laughter is, comes out of our own pride. Cynicism, this idea that you see through everyone else, you see their real motives, you know what's behind it. Uh, it actually assumes that I'm omniscient. You're saying this thing to me, but I know what you really mean. I'm seeing all this other stuff that seems good, but I know that in the end it's not going to work out well. I know better. I see through you. I see through them. You don't really mean it. I know your real motives. And then we, after we've been hurt several times, in our pride we jump to negative conclusions, not just about the people who've already hurt us, which that might just be wise, but about everyone and everything, even God. Um, and by the way, we should have a healthy skepticism in life. Like, I think Christians often are pretty naive um, and are maybe a little bit too trusting. Jesus said to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We should have a sense of, of shrewdness and a healthy skepticism, but not one that goes into cynicism. Um, when I was in seminary, I had this professor. His name's Jerem Bars. Uh, he's just a beautiful man. And uh, I was a seminary student. And he's, he's an older gentleman. He's from England. And he had picked up from just conversations with us. Seminary is where you go to be trained to be a pastor. And he had heard us talking and overheard us in the conversations that we were kind of like, we were cynical <laughs> about the church. We were cynical about the baby boomer pastors and how they had messed everything up and how we were going to do it right. And, uh, we were onto some good things, but he, I remember one day in class, he just stopped in the middle of class. It was after somebody asked a question, and when Jerem would push his glasses down to the bridge of his nose and look over them, like he would like not look at you through his glasses, he would make eye contact, and he put, he put his glasses down at the tip of his nose, and he looked over at us, and he said, you think you have a right to be cynical just because you're right about everything. But let me tell you something. Jesus isn't cynical about you, and he has every right to be. It's like, okay, yeah, like, um, fair point. Uh, you know, like, Jesus isn't cynical about you. He has every right to be. But he's working on redeeming you and changing you. 
And he, he's just, he just opened his eyes. It was like a spear. It's like in Lord of the Rings when the, the troll like shoves Frodo up against the wall. <laughs> That's how we all felt. Like, oh, he's got us. He's pinned us. He nailed us. Third, it's because of our hurt and because of our pride, but also just because of our basic unbelief. Again, is anything too hard for the Lord? And she is saying, this is too hard. Um, this is too hard for you, God. Her pride and her unbelief. I don't believe you. But then notice how God responds to her. Um, He, the actual omniscient one, sees through her cynicism. And he responds to her first. You know, he calls her out, right? Did you notice this? Why did Sarah laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. No, but you did laugh, right? (laughs) Um, God's a good counselor, (laughs) You need a good counselor or good friends. A, a, a friend of mine calls it a friend with a good BS detector, right? When you say that thing like, I'm not angry. I'm just really frustrated. Hey, buddy, I think you're angry, right? Like, uh, um, no, but you did laugh. Um, he's not going to just sort of let her off. But at the same time, he's not cynical about her. He repeats what she said about herself, but he deletes the derogatory language where she says, now that he, she says, I'm worn out. And he repeats it back to her, but he cuts that part out. He says, why do you say that you're not going to have a child? He's not cynical about her. And she lies, by the way. It says that she didn't admit it because she was afraid. Sarah was afraid, which is exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve take the fruit that they were told not to eat and they run and they hide from God because they're afraid. And just like with Adam and Eve, he does the same thing with Sarah. Like, no, 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 no. Come on out. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell me what's going on. He sees through her cynicism, and he calls her into relationship. And then there's the third laugh. Um, We're going to skip ahead a lot here, a few chapters, to chapter 21. It says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time at which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? This third laugh is the laugh, the laugh of joy, the laugh of sheer happiness. And it's the laughter that comes from God fulfilling his promises. Did you notice uh, in, verse, uh, in verse one, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, as he had promised, at the time which, the, which God had spoken to him. He circumcises Isaac as God had commanded him. There's this idea all throughout the Bible that God makes promises and then he keeps them. There's a prediction and then there's a fulfillment. There's a command and then there's a living it out. And what happens is joy. What happens is laughter. This promised son arrives, and it's 
this laughter is, first of all, it's a consuming laughter. Uh, here's what I mean. The laughter of joy is consuming. Um, notice what she says in verse 6. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And this joyful laughter drowns out her cynicism and her doubt. It doesn't take away her hurt of 90 years, but it redeems it. And it's almost as if her joy is even greater because of the pain that she's been through. God redeems uh, the hurt and the sorrow and the pride, and he wraps it around with joyful laughter. He has made laughter for me, and that joy transforms the sorrow. It's, it's a consuming laughter. It's a consuming joy, but it's also contagious. You know, laughter is contagious. Like somebody starts laughing, and sometimes you just, you hear someone laugh, and you just can't help but laugh. There was a, a student in RUF a few years ago named Shelby, who anytime I cracked like a little side joke, like she would like lose it. And it just, I was like, man, I could be a stand-up comedian. Like, I don't, forget preaching. Like, I'm going to get my own Netflix special because Shelby thinks I'm hilarious. And then when she laughs, everyone else laughs. Um, I can remember a few years ago uh, sitting on the terrace at one of those green tables. And there was, um, I guess it was like an alum who had graduated maybe like a year, year and a half ago who was coming back to campus. And one of her friends spotted her and called out her name across the terrace. And they ran to each other embraced and were jumping up and down laughing and they were just laughing it was just like they weren't talking they were just laughing and hugging each other and jumping and all the terrace was full it was a beautiful day like today and all of us just stopped our conversations and we just watched them and everyone was just laughing I looked around and we're like we're all just happy like we're just we can't help laughing it was amazing and there's a sense where, where Sarah says everyone who sees me will laugh over me. Uh, There's this idea that the joy that has been given to them is then spreading out to other people, that God fulfilling his promises, that God did that for me, and now that's spreading out to them. And I want that kind of joy. I want to laugh that kind of laugh. I want to be in the midst of that. And God, it's great that God did that for Sarah. Like, it's really cool that, you know, like 3,000 plus years ago, God gave an old lady a baby. What does that mean for us? Like, how does that do anything for us? And there's more here. There's the first laugh and the second laugh and the third laugh, but then there's finally the last laugh, the last laugh. Uh, Isaac, their son, his name literally means laughter. Abraham laughs in God's face. Sarah laughs in God's face. God gives them laughter with a son, and then they name their son Laughter. The fulfillment of the promise is joyful laughter. He is the promised son, and when the promise is fulfilled, there is joy. But Isaac ultimately points to another promised son. Abraham was promised that through your offspring, through your son, the whole world will be blessed. And that one in whom all the promises made to Abraham are fulfilled as the Bible unfolds is Jesus. Jesus, who is not born to a 90-year-old woman, but born to a virgin, an even more unlikely mother. And he brings that ultimate joy, and he faced the suffering and the sneers and the mocking laughter of the crowds and is crucified after being beaten, buried, and rises again. And Jesus said, Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. How are we going to laugh? How are those of us who weep and suffer, how are we going to laugh? Um, 
on the night before Jesus is crucified, he's sitting down with his disciples. And uh, he's going to be taken away and flogged and killed the next day. And he's sharing a meal with them. And he picks up a cup of wine and he says, "Um, I will not drink this cup, this wine, until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God when I return. And all through the Old Testament, wine is a symbol of God being a source of blessing and a source of joy, a source of delight. He's saying, I'm going to hold off on drinking this cup again until I return, and I will drink it again with you when I return. I'm going to bring that joy to you. I'm going to read some lyrics of a song by a group called Page France. I usually hate Christian music, but this is a Christian band, and I like them. Um, The lyrics are a little silly, but so are the Psalms, so bear with me. But it's a song just called Jesus, and uh, Paige France sings this. I will sing a song for you, and you will stomp your feet for me. And the bears and bees and banana trees will play kazoos and tambourines. And Jesus will dance while we drink his wine with soldiers and thieves and a sword in his side. And we will be joy. And we will be right. And Jesus will dance while we drink his wine. So Jesus has given this promise. I'm coming back. And I'm going to drink this cup of joy and share it with you. That Jesus will laugh. And we will laugh with him. And we will experience that joy when he returns at this great wedding feast when he comes back. And so that's our laugh. That's the last laugh. And that's what we have ahead of us. Don't disbelieve it and chuckle like Abraham and don't cynically dismiss it like Sarah. But go ahead and enter into that joy and (laughs) begin to laugh now in light of the greater laugh that we'll all experience at the end. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you... um, that you bring joy and you bring delight and that you love us. Um, And that even now, in the midst of our sorrows and struggles and injustice that we face all around us, that we can laugh a greater laugh of joy knowing uh, that you uh, will hold on to us and that you have overcome. We pray this in your name.